Welcome to Intersect, where church meets culture. My name is Josh Desch. I'm the lead pastor at Northeast Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina. And I am joined, as always, by my Bible-loving wife, Betsy. Hey, everybody. You do love the Word of God, Betsy. I do, I do. And we have a special guest, a friend, a mentor, a great man of God, Dr. Dan Doriani, is joining us from St. Louis, Missouri. Dan, great to have you on today. Uh, well, I might dispute the introduction, but I'm glad to be chatting <laughs> with you and Betsy. A little bit of context for our audience. Uh, most of our audience knows that I graduated from Covenant Theological Seminary for my Master of Divinity degree. But what our audience does not know, I doubt, is that in the morning, Betsy and I attended, on Sunday mornings, we attended Grace and Peace Fellowship, mm -hmm. which is a PCA church. We were, uh, we came to seminary, committed to the PCA. We knew we wanted to stay in the PCA. But Betsy, where did we worship in the evenings in we, our seminary days? I think we called it our half church. We were at Central Pres in, yeah, our, uh, in the evenings, which was a delight. Yes, and we often got to hear Dan preach the mm -hmm. word. Mm -hmm. Those were good, good memories. Good, definitely, good times. Yeah. Definitely, good times. definitely. Yeah. Well, Dan, I was glad to see you on Sunday nights. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A great, a great tradition. We don't, we don't. You don't hear about it too often anymore in the church. Going mm -hmm. worshiping morning and evening. Mm -hmm. um, quick, a few quick words about Dan. He is the professor of biblical and systematic theology at Covenant Theological Seminary. Uh, he has a PhD. He is the author of many books, many of which I have on my shelf. The last one, Dan, that I saw is titled Work, Its Purpose, Dignity, and Transformation. Is that the latest book? Uh, you know, believe it or not, I've, there are three more since then. Oh, wow. Oh, goodness. So, mm -hmm. uh, one, well, I mean, one of them was, uh, let's see, uh, one of them was written about four years ago, but finally came out. There was, it was a multi-author work. Hmm. That's a commentary on Matthew and the ESV series, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Again, oh, my good. partners were Hans Beyer, whom you know, yep. and mm -hmm. Tom Schreiner. Yep. Wow. Very and then good. I wrote another very little book about work that is meant for use in churches and church Bible studies. Oh, and wonderful. If you give me a second, I'll tell you what it's uh, what the title is. I can't remember right now. And I have <laughs> That's how you know on, you've written on. a lot of books. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and a commentary on Romans is out any day. Oh, wonderful. Oh, wow. Wonderful. Awesome. Great. Well, we, we're grateful for your ministry to the broader church through your writing and your teaching. And we're going to get into your podcast. Uh, Dan is the host of the podcast, Working with Dan Doriani. And we're going to talk about that at the end of this podcast. But let's just jump right into this topic. We've got a uh, really gifted New Testament scholar on the line with us. And so what we want to talk about, the title of the episode today is Learning to Love the Gospels. This is going to be a two-part uh, podcast, Learning to Love the Gospels. And Dan, maybe we could just start out by, by setting the context like this. If you are a Christian, uh, of course you love Jesus. I mean, that's the heart and soul of being a Christian, being loved by Jesus and loving him. But not everybody uh, loves the Gospels necessarily. Uh, there are people out there who struggle to read the Bible. Uh, there are people out there who struggle to do more than just the potluck Bible approach, kind of what, where do I open my Bible mm -hmm. today? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of believers, I think, that have particular parts of the Bible that they love and particular, even parts of, of the gospels they love. Maybe they love the story of the Good Samaritan. Maybe they love the Beatitudes in Matthew, uh, 
but they don't necessarily read the Gospels as a whole. They don't normally study uh, the the entire books of uh, the four Gospels that we've been given. So let's just go ahead and jump right into this um, question of of why should believers love the Gospels? Um, why not just stick with our favorite verses, um, our favorite parts of the Bible? Uh, we know Jesus is our Savior. Is is that not enough? Talk about the value of studying the Gospels in their entirety and also in their uniqueness as God has given us four different Gospels. Yeah, sure. That's a, that's a big question. But uh, the, the main reason why we should love the Gospels is that it tells the story of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and it is our destiny to be conformed to him. So mm-hmm. to look at the Gospels, if nothing, it's sort of a living paradigm for the godly life. And we see Jesus, you know, touching people and being kind and merciful and also extraordinarily candid at times, uh, denouncing sin and uh, talking to his own and having a great reception and sometimes a terrible reception and going outside to other people groups and all these things should, should be informative for us in our Christian life. But of course, the main the main reason we should love the Gospels is because we find out who Jesus is. And it, there's no doubt that you can learn about the nature of God in Isaiah and in the Psalms and in the letters of Paul and Hebrews and so on. But um, we have the narrative of what Jesus is actually like, which means we have the story of what God is actually like. You know, he who has seen me has seen the Father, Jesus says. So, if you, you know, people ask, what is God like? And I, my basic answer is, well, go read the Gospels and think about what you see mm-hmm. there. And you will find justice and mercy and honesty and generosity and artistry. You know, Jesus' stories have so much art to them. His parables are beautiful and, and just brilliantly crafted. And so that's encouraging to the artists of the world and the creative people of the world. And then, of course, it shows us, it, it doesn't just tell, you know, you should sacrifice for others, but it shows us what we could call a Christoform or a cruciform life. That is to say, a life that is formed in the shape of Christ. You know, we're, we have, uh, we're supposed to be willing to take up a cross and follow him. And we also anticipate uh, the resurrection, like his resurrection and a renewed body like his renewed body and, and greater powers, um, you know, in, in t- the time to come when all things are restored. So it's a Christoform life. It's a cruciform life uh, in which we, you know, we hope everything goes well, but there is there is suffering to be expected in this life. And we could maybe even say it's a Christ-iconic life, by which I mean you know, we have the image, icon means image, we have the image of Christ in the Gospels, and then that's the image more or less uh, apart from his qualities of deity, but it's the image that we'll have one day. We'll be, you know, generous and kind and thoughtful and surprising and candid in the ways that he was. And to, just to pick one particular, you know, the Bible often says Jesus touched people. Hmm. I mean, they go, oh, well, well, Chris, we're not going to touch people today because, you know, we got COVID. But Jesus touched <laughs> lepers. Hmm. And that's a lot worse than COVID. And I'm not sure. asking, I'm not urging people to be reckless. I'm just saying, that Jesus did take some risks and, you know, that's probably a good word for people who are living in fear. Hmm. Maybe a good word for people who are, you know, who hate to touch strangers and so forth. And so Jesus life is beautiful and it's an image of what our life can and should be. Hmm. Hmm. 
That's awesome. Well, so as we were thinking about this topic, what, one thing that came to mind for me, Dan, was um, what are some common misconceptions you think that people have about the Gospels? Obviously, you hear, you know, um, you hear that in pop culture about, um, you know, you've got the Da Vinci Code where people say Jesus was married. You've got all these kind of popular culture ideas about Jesus. So there's misconceptions in that way. There's also um, misconceptions in the church. What are some of those common misconceptions that you've um, encountered about the Gospels? Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, the most common and dangerous overall is that it's just a bunch of stories, Hmm. and it may or may not have any connection to reality. Uh, That is to say, these things are you know, maybe myths or fairy tales, and, and they didn't really happen. So that's obviously the most common misconception among unbelievers who are, shall we say, pretty pretty clearly or maybe even aggressively non-Christian, possibly anti-Christian. Mm-hmm. Another really common one is that, that goes together with this is that the Gospels are written long after the events recorded there by people who didn't really see or know what happened. These are these are stories that kind of passed around the church, and you know they might have changed bit by bit every time they're recorded. And uh, you know the wit- there's a lot of evidence that it is the eyewitnesses, or in the case of Luke, someone who knew the eyewitnesses very well, and you know and interviewed them and tracked down all the facts so he could be as accurate as possible, which is what he says. Hmm. Because there's so many things. There's just hundreds of of things in the gospel narratives are just so exact. You know, every city is in the right place where it says there's water, there's signs. Even if a well isn't there anymore, you can see where a well was because, you know, water moves over a period of 2,000 years. (laughs) There's all kinds of evidence that the gospels are reliable and accurate and, you know, written by people who knew what they were talking about and who, uh, who weren't trying to gain an advantage or, or have power as is sometimes claimed, but, you know, these are all people who ultimately suffered and all but one died, was put to death Mm -hmm. um, for their convictions. And, you know, they didn't have power. They didn't get rich. They, they believed and therefore they sealed their belief with their lives. So it's not a power play and it's not a fantasy. Mm. Those are probably the biggest things I would say Mm. in terms of popular misconceptions. Yeah, and if you, of course, if you read the Gospel of Thomas, you find uh, a very different Jesus than you encounter in the four Gospels. I mean, things like uh, a man must become, or a woman must become like a man, and it's, you, you, you get a very different picture of Jesus than the picture of Jesus that you get in the four Gospels. And I, I wonder how often these people, when, when, when they hear about these other Gospels, they don't recognize uh, just how unique the four Gospels that we've been given are and the level of agreement. Right. And- the, yeah, the best cure for the idea that, that, you know, the church sort of chose four Gospels that liked the best, that preserved its power or something like that, is actually to read the other Gospels. Because, uh, you know, the, 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 not only the, the Gospel of Thomas, which is nothing but sayings, in that Gospel, Jesus just talks and talks and talks. And some of the things he says are kind of like the four Gospels, and other things are very mystical and and sort of, uh, the one you cited, anti-embodiment, sort of the platonic, the body is our foe and the soul is without sex and so forth. Hmm. 
Uh, but another one that's called the infancy gospel, Thomas, which is t- entirely different, has you know young Jesus full of kinds of powers, which he uses however he pleases, including striking people yeah. down yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, even killing somebody and raising the dead just so they can say a good word about him and you know very arbitrary. I mean, if if that were in the canon, talk about arbitrary use of power and abuse of power, uh, mm. that would certainly warrant that. And in the fourth. The four Gospels, Jesus does anything but use power for his own advancement or for his own pleasure or ease or to control things. I mean, he, he submits himself to the powers of the age and never uses his power to make himself wealthy or beautiful or, you know, favored or anything. Mm. Mm. Always for others. You know, a follow-up on... Um misconceptions maybe are difficult passages. Betsy, you and I were talking about this. Mm -hmm. There's difficult passages that we don't always know what to do with in the scriptures. I recently preached on, uh, in the book of Mark, where it says Jesus went to his own country or Nazareth. And there's a verse in there that says, and he could not do many miracles, um, except for heal a few people. And we say, okay, wait, how does this fit with the fact that he's the son of God, the dual nature of Christ? And then you have passages like John 8, you have the long ending of Mark, and it's, it's, it, you do have passages that are, that are hard to know exactly how to fit within our, our theology sometimes. Well, there's no doubt about that. In fact, um, you, you both know my wife, Debbie, and we were reading Psalm 34 yesterday, and, and Psalm 34 has this one spot where it says, you know, the Lord here's the cry of the righteous. They will lack no good thing. And, mm-hmm. yep. uh, and mm-hmm. you know, she goes, uh, that's, <laughs> that's not always true. You know, the righteous always cry for help. The Lord hears and, and delivers them from all their troubles. And so we think, okay, um, number one, we read the whole Bible. You, you can never get the whole truth into one sentence, point one. So you look through a book which has remarkable consistency internally, and you say, this is true you know, in the life of David, when God was blessing his people and, and God was blessing the nation of Israel because it was a nation. And then later on, God did not deliver righteous people because the nation as a whole rebelled or today, you know, you can have a Christian living in a nation where the rulers are tyrants or start a war and force you to fight, etc. So you have to, and all that's in the Bible too. So what do you do with the gospels? You know, Jesus couldn't perform many miracles. Well, then what you have to do is ask the question, what might that mean? There's different kinds of couldn't. There's, there's couldn't meaning he didn't have the power. We don't want to say that. Mm-hmm. Or there's couldn't contextually, socially, he couldn't. And, and the idea, that's got to be it. Because Jesus never performed miracles for a bunch of skeptics who were just kind of waiting for him to perform. And that's, that's found several places. Mm-hmm. You know, give us a sign. He goes, I'm not, giving you, I'm not going to give you a sign. I've given you enough signs. You know, he didn't, he didn't perform for... Uh, you know, during his trial with Herod, you know, show us what you got. He goes, nope, I'm not going to do that. And, you know, Jesus did not, you know, do a song and dance routine to try to woo skeptics who were, who were not seeking at all. So in that sense, he couldn't perform many miracles. But there were some people who had enough faith, and so he performed them. The point, of course, is that you have to study, and you have to read the mm-hmm. whole Bible, mm-hmm. which is a complex but coherent book. Um, I do not... I do not um, recommend, but I, I state that there are lots of, of uh, very well-loved um, 
programs like this. For example, uh, Ted Lasso, which won tons of awards, mm-hmm. has things that don't make sense unless you're watching the story really closely and you go, oh, right, they dropped a hint about that four weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm not one of those people, but I couldn't understand it. And then somebody said, well, don't you know this and this and this happened? And so it does make sense. I think, oh, yes, of course. And if, if we should, uh, you know, if we should pay attention to a TV show or a novel or something or, or songs, um, we should pay much more attention to the Bible and expect it to make sense if we study carefully. Mm. I, I, I had a question as well. I'm, you know, we've been studying the Gospels in a discipleship class that I'm in. And, um, you know, sometimes you come up against these passages that are so difficult to reconcile with what you think you know of God's heart, mm-hmm. you know, where Jesus spoke in parables to to essentially um, get the message by certain people so they wouldn't understand, you know, right. um, what do you do with that kind of thing where I, I, obviously that's, as you just said, that's something that we have to study and dig into. You can't just spend five minutes with it and, you know, think that you're going to understand it all. But when we come up against those kind of harder passages, what do you think we should do with those? Well, I hate to be repetitive, but what you do is you study them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And what you do is you find that this is not the only time when somebody, an agent of God said, I'm going to stop talking. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, in uh, I guess guess it's Amos who says, I'm going to give you a famine, a famine for the word of God, because you aren't listening to anything that I say. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the various prophets sometimes did stop talking and did, for example, speak, you know, Ezekiel and Jeremiah both spoke in symbols, which are kind of like parables, because they wouldn't listen. So, you know, judgment is coming. And then, you know, one of them gets a sash and brand new sash and buries it in a rock and it's filthy, dirty. And and as this sash was ruined, so you'll be ruined. And, you know, Ezekiel in one place smashes a pot. As this pot is smashed, so Israel will be smashed. So there's symbolic language. There's withdrawal of the truth. And in the case of the parables, I mean, there's, there's two sides of it. I mean, one, at one point, you know, Jesus is performing miracles, and the more good he does, the more hostile they get. And they say, well, yeah, you know, he performs miracles, but he does it by the power of the evil one. Hmm. And Jesus essentially says, look, if everything I give you is, is spurned, attacked, and perverted, I'm going to stop giving you things. I'm going to stop. I'm going to hide. Because what you received, you despised, hated, and perverted. And so that this is a it's a punishment for them for not receiving what they had uh, been given in plain pro, prose earlier. So that's part of it. And then, of course, uh, sometimes you know it helps to give people a break when people won't listen. Um, as a I don't know, Josh, how you do it, but there's a sense in which the harder a teaching is, the more important it is to illustrate. Mm-hmm. The teaching, maybe give people a chance to laugh. If there's a funny story, if you can, sure. I'm not saying tell a joke, but give people a chance to laugh at awkward things. If you have <laughs> the ability to, you know, if you have the gift of humor, shall we call it? Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, to tell a self-deprecating story, you know, here's a hard teaching, and then you tell a story about how you blew it one time, and that um, breaks down people's hostilities. And Jesus does that at times with. With some of his parables, especially in the last week, you know, he, he does seem to get them out of their intrinsic, immediate negative reaction by telling stories sometimes. And then maybe later on, oh, yes, there's one in Matthew 21. 
the ghost is going, no, they suddenly realized he was talking about them <laughs> and, and so on. But at least they listened for a while, right? <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I One of the reasons I love the Gospels is you do get a picture of the humanity of Jesus, the you know, there are parts of the Bible that are funny, that make you think that, you know, I just preached on the uh, uh, feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus, I love Jesus says, you feed them. You know, he looks at, they said, what do we do? You feed them. And and they say, Jesus, right. that would take 200 denarii. And you just, you just sense the exasperate, you know, are they being sarcastic at that moment? You know, come on, Jesus, we can't do this at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And then they do feed him. I mean, they do. Yeah. People. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is, I mean, you know, we don't usually laugh, but it is funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if you approach it the right way, that they're telling Jesus, I mean, come on now, you're the son of God and you have all these miraculous powers, but you know this can't be done. Mm-hmm. I mean, do we have to tell you this? It's impossible. Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, you know, we'll see if it's impossible or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really like how you're um, just drawing out the importance of reading all of scripture in the context of scripture and just saying, you know, if this is something that you wrestle with in scripture, you can find the same themes in, in other places. And that's a really, that's a really great encouragement to read the Bible so carefully and um, with so much intention. I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, it's really clear that Jesus knew the Bible mm-hmm. and obviously he was doing new things, but nothing that was, clashing or in sharp contrast with the revealed truth that the people had to that point. Dan, well, thank you so much. All right, everyone, we are breaking here. We would ask that you would tune in for part number two for our interview with Dr. Dan Doriani about learning to love the Gospels. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and we will see you for part two of this episode.